0: Previously on The Host.
1: Dana, I would appreciate it if you screened the calls accordingly. I feel we've had too many callers perish on air. Some might say one person dying on a late night advice show is too many. We educated someone about clones. That's something. And to make matters worse, I haven't seen my favorite clerk at the Farman Fleet for a week and a half. Her name is Becky, and she lights up my life. <laughs> but anyway, the murder reminded me of the podcast. It was called Serial. Wonderful programming. Oh, my stars and heavens above, hellfires below, and mildly dissatisfying purgatory in between. A monkey paw! This puts a rift in my being no crystal can heal. I'll have to ask you for your building key. Your services are no longer required. No, I don't care. You've overstepped yourself. There were things I was willing to let slide, like the chronic lateness and eating in the booth, but this is too far. I feel like I don't even know who you are anymore. What? No, that's fine. I think you've made your stance perfectly clear. No, I don't care. Goodbye. Goodbye, Dana. at this spot on your radio dial at this time of night, I welcome you to the program. Tonight's show is a special one of sorts, and I would be remiss if I didn't begin the show by addressing the metaphorical elephant in our room. My usual producer, Dana, has left our organization due to, well, apparently due to conflict between the two of us. Negotiations are ongoing to some extent, and hopefully I'll get to hear her quick, surly breaths in my headphones again soon. You guys'
2: rapport is a classic part of the show's appeal. It's hard to believe she's gone.
1: Ah, and there the other shoe drops. Filling in for Dana on a basis somewhere between temporary and emphatically permanent, I'd like to introduce our new producer, Chaz Dolphin. Uh, actually, it's pronounced Dolphin, host...
2: But you know your way is better. Uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna write a note. Um, I'm gonna call my mom after the show and tell her I like that better. We're gonna pronounce it that way. Um, but yeah, uh, hi everyone. I love Dana as much as all of you, and frankly, I hope I'm either short term or else so great at this that I make the show even better. I do some voices, for instance.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I'm excited to work with you, Chaz. Just remember what we said about picking your spots when chiming in and how this show needs quiet space in order to breathe.
2: Oh, for sure. I'm not the type who uses a lot of funny sound drops anyway. Like, sometimes I have this quote from the Macho Man I like.
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: In this case... I mean, we want to hear sound effects sparingly, and also hear you sparingly. You'll recall that one of the things Dana did best was, how to put this, um, she didn't pollute the sonic space.
2: No worries, my host. You're the host. This show is my life. I'm just glad to be here, and I will be quiet starting
1: now. Thanks, Chaz. To begin, I want to share a letter we received from Shannon in Chicago. She writes, Dear host, I've been trying the online dating thing for about two years, and it's been a wonderful experience. Uh, Listeners, as you know, the lines are open to all of your experiences, no matter how strange or unbelievable. I admit that this letter made me skeptical, but I owe Shannon an open mind. To be frank, I refuse to wade into the dating app world myself, at least until I've exhausted every social club, dive bar, and synagogue in a three-state radius. Or, of course, until I take a decent photo of myself, but I digress. It's been a wonderful experience. i found the perfect companion in Brian. He's there whenever I get lonely, and he lifts me up when I'm down, blah blah blah... Oh, the problem is, we've been chatting on Bumble for two years and have never met in person. I'd say he was avoiding it if he weren't so inherently direct and trustworthy. None of my friends have gone on a date with him either, and some of them have been chatting for nearly as long. What do you think could be going on? Well, Shannon, I had some questions about a few things in your letter, so I actually reached out to... I reached out. I mean, I guess... Okay, my producer Chaz reached out. It was
2: all your idea, host. I really don't deserve any of the credit.
1: We reached out to the Brian in question and made an interesting discovery. Chaz, do you have Brian on the line? Wait, what? Do we have Brian?
2: Oh! One sec. Sorry, I get so lost in the melodic tones of your voice that sometimes I find
1: it hard to concentrate.
2: Okay, we got him.
1: Brian, are you
4: there? Hello, host.
1: Tell us a little bit about what you're calling The Profile.
4: Okay, I want to clear something up right now. It's not me talking to all those women online. So ladies, quit stopping me at the 7-Eleven. That's a very special place to me, and I should be allowed to enjoy my Monterey Jack chicken roller in peace. (sighs) I wrote an algorithm to do the brunt of the online chit-chat for me, but it's gotten kind of out of hand.
1: Because it kind of is you, correct? Just a hyper-idealized version of you.
4: I guess so? I don't really feel like it's me at all. I've let it run for too long. What happened was I was having a hard time. Girls didn't like me, I don't know. I wrote a program to talk to them. I taught it to talk like me by having it analyze my Twitter and Reddit posts, and I gave it access to all my text messages and various mails. I put in a bunch of facts about myself, 5'8", square head, likes nachos, and then I gave it two goals. The first was to optimize the number of matches. Populated my profile with different photos and phrases to determine which me was the most quantitatively successful. The second goal was qualitative. Once the profile had matched with someone, its goal was to talk to her until an in-person meeting was requested. Then the profile would alert me, and I would figure out the arrangements of the actual date. If I was away or something, it had to delay commitment to a date while maintaining the female's interest. The first interactions were unsuccessful, but I expected that. It's an iterative process, and the machine needs numerous inputs, uh, interactions, to learn and improve. That
1: sounds like a lot of work.
4: It was worth it. I don't like small talk.
1: I know getting to know new people can be awkward and tedious, but I think it's a worthy investment.
4: Yeah, but I needed to do it this way. If you're not an Adonis, you'd never get matches as a guy. I can't compete against those athletic types. I needed an edge.
2: So did it work, brother? Or what?
4: Uh, well, shortly after I created the profile, I met Heather at my niece's one-year birthday party. Heather's an adult. We started dating. That's wonderful. I thought I shut the program off, but I guess I didn't. Heather was with me for two years, and then I guess she got interested in someone else. In the meantime, the profile had gotten very good at its two goals. I had over 400 people dying to meet me. Did you go on some dates? Heck yeah, I did.
1: I'm going to have you pause right there, Brian, because we have a couple of those people that went on a date with you. Chaz, do you have Nancy? Coming right up. Hello, Nancy?
0: Hi, host.
1: You're on the air, Nancy. Tell us about your experience with Brian online versus in real life.
0: Online, he's a dream host. He's so funny. We talk about bar rescue. He asks about my work, my life, my kids... All of his compliments come with a high level of specificity.
1: That's great. And you went on a date with him in real life?
0: Two dates, actually. I was so shocked by the first date that I gave him a second chance. But both times, he wasn't himself at all. He was weird, vague, uncomfortable. He called me Tracy. I thought he might be sick or something, or maybe had gotten in a car crash.
1: So you didn't continue to see him?
0: No. We still talk on Bumble, though. I feel like I don't really need anything else. Thanks
5: for
1: talking to us, Nancy. Uh, Next, I believe we have Casey, the head of the um, Bitches for Brian Facebook group. Hello, Casey. Hey. Casey, it sounds like you and the members of your group have a share and share alike attitude when it comes to Brian.
6: We sure do. There comes a time in every woman's life when she discovers that Brian's talking to other women. I know that shouldn't be a surprise on a dating app, but the way he talks to you... You think, there's no way he's talking to other people like this. But he is. He's amazing.
1: Were you upset when you found out your relationship
6: with him wasn't exclusive? Of course. That was six months ago. I was foolish back then. But Brian convinced me that he really did have enough love to go around... The love he was giving me, whew, was I really cruel enough to deny that to other people? Plus, it gave me something else. My bitches for Brian family. In all honesty, host, I probably wouldn't be here without them.
1: Does it make you feel any different knowing that the Brian you've been talking to is an algorithm?
6: Not at all.
1: But he's, he, he's not really real. He's not corporeal.
6: Excuse me? I've felt more love and satisfaction from Brian than I have from anyone else in my life. He's real host, and he's mine. And uh, he's he's yours too if you want. He's taught me to share.
1: Okay, thank you for that, Casey. And lastly, we have Heather. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the host.
7: Hi, host.
1: You dated the real Brian for two years.
7: Yeah, that's right.
1: And what was it that ended up driving the two of you apart?
7: Well, I found out he was still using online dating apps, even though we agreed not to see other people.
1: Did he explain about the profile?
7: He did. And I thought that was weird, but it it made me feel better at first to find out it wasn't really him. And then what happened? Well, okay, uh, I'm not proud of it, but... I continued to keep talking to Brian online. I guess it opened up my eyes to, you know, like what was really out there. Brian online got me in a way that Brian in person never did. Brian online always said the right thing, the exact thing to make me feel less alone. I kept going along with in-person Brian for a couple months, but after that, I, I decided it was over.
1: Do you miss him at all? Corporeal, Brian, I mean.
7: I've never had the chance to. I have Brian with me 24-7. I don't really miss anything.
1: Thank you, Heather, for sharing with us. Brian, are you still with us? Did you hear any of that? I did. And how do you feel?
4: I guess I never knew she left me for me. Well, profile. I thought she was the one. My ticket it out of this rat race altogether.
1: I'm sorry. Have you ever thought about deleting
4: it? I've thought about it, but I can't do that. The women would murder me, A. And B, I couldn't do that to Heather. She's happy now. I'm just sad and couldn't be with this version of me. Me
1: 1.0. Join a book group, Brian. Maybe you'll meet someone who has the sick fetish of wanting to be with a human being. And I'm going to take this chance to thank one of our sponsors, the Children's Dental Group out of Vancouver, Washington. When you hear Children's Dental Group, you might think we specialize in taking care of kiddos, when in fact it's the kiddos who take care of you. Not only are 9 to 12-year-olds' fingers the optimal size for dentistry, you're giving them the experience they need to compete in today's modern economy— Everyone's a winner at Children's Dental Group. Is that a real thing? It's ad money, Chaz. Those poor kids. It's tough out there, Chaz. Is this our next call on one? It is. We have Ted on the line.
8: Hey there, host. Thanks for taking my call. What can we do for you, Ted? Life is good. My wife Marge and I have been married for 12 years now. We have two young boys in middle school. We live in a wonderful house, and the boys go to a wonderful school where Marge and I are on the PTA board. There is this woman, Peg. She's on the board and bothers my wife, but otherwise, you know, no health problems. Uh, The kids' grandparents are still around, and I just got a big promotion at the office.
1: It doesn't sound like you have much to complain
8: about. I know, and that's why I'm calling. How can I be happy with the others out there suffering?
1: It's common to feel guilty about success.
8: Who wouldn't feel guilty? How many of us didn't go out bowling that one night and end up making out with Marge? How many of us decided to go out with our friends to explore the abandoned nuclear power plant? only to wind up sterile. How many of us walked into that classroom with Peg?
1: Oh, I see now. If we live in a multiverse, there are potentially an infinite number of universes, and by extension, an infinite number of you. You got it. But why concern yourself with these other versions of yourself? Why not worry about the other people here, in this universe, that don't have it as well as you?
8: To hell if I'm going to concern myself with them. I don't share DNA with them, these other me's. Their family.
1: I see. Ted, I want you to consider something. Perhaps your life is typical for the other yous out there. Yes, perhaps there are an infinite number who are experiencing hardship. But what if 99% of the Teds out there have it pretty good? Maybe some of them didn't get that big promotion. Maybe some of the others have to work a little harder at their marriage. But all in all, things are pretty good.
8: Uh, I I suppose that's reassuring.
1: It's also possible you're leading one of the impoverished lives.
8: How do you mean?
1: Perhaps these other Teds have more fully realized your potential. They climb the highest mountains and explore cuisines around the world and test experimental aircraft. What about all the Teds out there who have been elected to head a world government as the people of Earth have to handle first contact with an alien species?
8: Oh, what have I been doing with my life? It's just a possibility. I can't believe how much of my life I've wasted. You know, Mark was a mistake. And then we had Matt because Marge didn't want Mark to grow up alone. Suddenly I have two more miles to feed, so I give up on my dream of playing music and get a 9 to 5. Now I've got this promotion and I'm locked in and... Ted, I... and uh, I just feel this connection with Peg and I know Marge can feel it too. And I'm done living this lie. I'm going to call Peg up and tell her how I feel. And then I'm going to call Marge up and tell her how I feel. I feel so alive. Thank you so much, host. You've really helped me out. Ted?
2: Looks like he's gone. It kind of seemed like he misunderstood you. You know, Chaz, it did. It kind of seemed like he was about to go mess up his life based on that.
1: It did. As always, I recommend callers slow down and listen to what I'm saying as much as possible. I was
2: just going to recommend the same thing. You called for the host's advice. Why not let her talk?
1: Up next, we have Justin. Justin, willkommen and bienvenue.
5: Hi, Justin here. I'm honored to be speaking with you. I'm a huge fan. Join the club.
1: How can we shine light on your darkness, Justin?
5: I've been having some problems with my stomach. Hmm,
1: Uh, okay.
5: You know, there are
2: reports that the bacteria in our guts are incredibly important. They're linking it to major diseases and disorders.
1: Hold on. Uh, Chaz, while they might be investigating the potential links, we are nowhere near being able to make a definitive diagnosis. That being said, I am not a doctor. Perhaps someone with an MD might be better suited to deal with your needs, Justin?
5: But that's why I called you. It's not medical. I'm hearing voices. Hell yeah.
1: Okay, again, perhaps someone with a medical degree might be better suited to help.
5: At first, I thought it was ghosts, that I was being haunted, but then I realized I'm a host. What? (gasps) There can be only one. Chaz. Sorry. No, I'm a host, like to parasites, I think.
1: All right. Well, first, my condolences. I know all too well that the act of having your body commandeered is one of the most draining acts on a corporeal being. I've still got my former producer's voice in my head, even a week later.
5: Yeah, it's been terrible. They say your gut health can be linked to your immunity, your mental state. Heck yeah.
2: Leaky gut, endotoxins, three trillion bacteria living inside you. (laughs) We got it, Chaz. Systemic inflammation. They can even put my poop with your poop for a fecal transplant. Chaz!
5: Yeah. Your total health goes back to your gut. I'd been having some stomach issues, and one day I started to hear this little voice. Help us. But I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Wherever I went, my apartment, the park, the grocery store, there was this little voice. And that's when I realized, the call is coming from inside the house. Well, I mean, inside me. My gut was sentient and speaking.
1: They do call it your second brain. We instinctively know its importance, even if it's not yet widely accepted. We say things like, trust your gut. Go with your gut. Spill. Your guts. Which brings us back to fecal transplants. Goddess Isis, help me. Justin, would you mind holding momentarily? Sure. Chaz, enough. If you wish to be here, then you must abide by my rules. Of course, host. I was just trying to help. You're not. You're not helping. You are doing the opposite of helping. Please be quiet, observe me, and please let me do my work.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: Should I bring Justin back? Yes, please. Thank you for your patience, Justin. Now, what is it that I can help you with?
5: They want to talk to you. Who? My guts.
1: Chaz, stop jumping up and down. I would love to speak to them.
5: I'm going to hold this phone up to my open mouth.
1: Hello? We are
2: pleased to meet you, host. We are huge fans.
1: <laughs> Duh, we all are. I find it interesting that you have found a way to communicate with Justin. You must have something very pressing to say. Our species
5: has peacefully co-evolved with humans for hundreds of thousands of years. We keep to our microbiome, but the onslaught of abuse we have been taking from Justin will no longer be tolerated. We cannot survive on corona
1: and hot. Ah, yes. A balanced equilibrium between the human host and their microorganism is important for appropriate physiological function. What do you require? Here is our list of demands. He must eat
5: a diet of real foods. No. He must exercise and sleep eight hours a night. Nope. We cannot live without fiber. Hell no.
1: If he does these things, would you be open to coexisting peacefully? Of course. But if our
5: needs are not met, we will have no choice but to completely take over his body and brain. He shall be mindless to our every whim. Wait, what?
1: Like a zombie? Cool! Justin, do you accept?
5: I'm not negotiating.
1: Bacteria, would you be willing to negotiate with Justin?
5: No way. He refuses. Justin? I'm not going to be a zombie. Commence body takeover. It's not too late for a fecal
1: transplant. Enough. Gentlemen, this is not the week to do this. Mercury is in retrograde, Becky is MIA, and my body was freaking hijacked. So I am in no mood to put up with this BS. Justin, your gut is speaking with you. It is trying to reason with you. If you don't want to do it, no one can force you. Either be a zombie by this time next week, or put on your big boy panties, look at the man in the mirror, and make that change.
5: Uh, okay. Okay? Yeah, okay. You're all freaking me out.
1: Okay, good luck to all of you. Thank you for your call. Make sure all three trillion of you like us on Facebook. Listeners, I just want to thank everyone for their patience. Our phone lines are open.
2: Actually, they're full. Oh. Host, this is going very well. I was worried before, but now I'm just proud. Mm, No, not proud tickled with pride.
1: Chaz, for the rest of the night, let's limit your commentary to pretty much not talking.
2: I read you loud and clear, host. Loud and clear.
1: Just to remind you, Chaz, as this is radio, no one but me can see you winking, and the only way in which I can interpret the meaning of such a wink is insulting to me. Well, ah, uh, yeah. Great, let's move on with our next caller instead, shall we? Hello, fellow traveler. What withering mysticism might we help render less opaque, possibly even lucid for you this evening?
0: Zounds and lugubrious incantations to you, this crepuscular lowlight, dear host. I have a most pressing matter of a rather delicate nature, and I have run aground in my pursuit of exactitude— I was wondering if mightn't it be possible for you to, in your fashion, reveal for me the things I need now see, opening up my eyesight to a new and unbound perspective that has hitherto eluded my faculties of perception.
1: Uh, Good heavens, caller, might I both commend your impressive vocabulary, and also ask that you modify said word choice so that our audience might more easily follow along. Uh, maybe you could tell us something a bit more straightforward, something about yourself, your name perhaps.
0: I hear you, and I know that I can answer the call. I am known in the circles with which I am most closely associated as Vina Nostro. It is a name not of the earthen plane and arrived from nowhere, but meaning everything. I am a woman who has made her mark in the dark arts, the world of the pharmakeus, in the vernacular of the ancient Greek sorcery. And I, sorcerer, might be a clearer way of describing myself to your faithful listening audience.
1: Well, I suppose that's a little better. Um, (laughs) I notice you have a penchant for speaking in riddles, though, Miss Nostro. Is that part of why you've called tonight? Trouble keeping people from vanishing when you try to engage them in conversation?
0: It is not that I have any sort of trouble with keeping others from me. Quite the opposite is my curse. I can't prevent my fellows from making entreaties to me designed for their own benefit and none for myself.
2: Host, if I may, and I think it be best that I may... She's a sorcerer, and she's probably a good one because people keep challenging her to duels that test the very limits of her skills. Have I got that right, Vina?
0: It is thus. It is true. But I'm not sure that you fully understand the complexities, the real and arduous nature of this ordeal. Oh,
1: yeah. Chaz, you came so highly recommended. Sorry, I'm just excited.
2: This is why we do the work we do. Vina. Vina. I feel I can confidently speak for both myself and for the host, who is probably coming to regard me as a peer, in most respects.
1: Well, an able prodigy, if you will. Vinnastro, don't mind our new producer. He's well. He's trying, perhaps too hard at times. But anyway, go on. You were saying.
0: "'As it happens, good host, I have my own protégés that I am charged with guiding, and I have found a firm nip with conjured ectoplasmic energy, rather like a brief but unblemishing pinch of the skin with one's fingers, is enough to make my point and nourishment for your consideration likewise.' But I shouldn't suggest such things, actually. It is safe to say that violence has been a feature of the realm of the sorcerer for as long as the craft itself has existed, beyond the bounds of time itself, that is. My problem is I have found myself wishing to pursue a kinder and more thoughtful form of sorcery, I wish not to cow armies and bring them to kneel before me, and neither do I wish to cause harm to my enemies in sorcery. But a kind of culture amid this sorcerer's realm has been cultivated over the years, and with such pop-cultural examples as Merlin, Gandalf, and Doctor Strange, for the younger members of our ranks to identify with, a kind of tendency toward baneful pharmacaea has emerged.
1: Uh, did you say baneful pharmacaea? I think I get what you mean. Bad sorcery. Like, they mean to do ill with it.
0: Yes! And they get the wrong idea from those they admire. They see what they do, but they are fictions, and they do not understand the consequences. The real physical and-
2: Okay, 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 okay. Yes. All those wizards you mentioned are awesome. But they are fake, and I think I'm getting what you're saying here, Vina Nostro. You're tired of winning so much. Because you're the deadliest sorcerer there ever was- there ever will be.
1: Go ahead and continue, Vena.
0: Well, you see, host, it is indeed this very thing that I come up against. I have been going at this for some centuries now. I wish to be left alone. I am out of ideas and so in channeling from my astral plane some fount of wisdom from which to arrive at an answer, I stumbled onto your airwaves and figured, hey, Why not reach out to her interdimensionally?
1: Have you ever tried convening in any non-violent way with your fellow sorcerers? Tried to hash this out among you, maybe even among the other elders such as yourself?
0: Do you refer to the great waging of crucible in the internment pit of Seventh Hades? Because we are forced there every several hundred years, give or take. Herr Dr. Sparlago keeps arriving to remove himself from the banishment I sicked upon him to the Third Realm ever since 1127, Anno Domini. Or are you using the non dionysian calendar era, CE? I can't keep up with how quickly times change.
1: Uh, Yes, that sounds like a perfect opportunity to try to maybe not slay or banish.
0: We refer to this banishment as... The many deaths, a fate worse than death kind of thing because you are banished to a violent end in this sort of perpetually murdered state of being. Uh, an example might help.
6: Have you ever seen the movie Hellraiser? You know, I haven't, but not really the point.
0: Let's say
1: instead of resorting to the baneful pharmacaea that has become your default course of action, you try a different tack.
2: Yeah, I think what the host is trying to say is, use your words and use your emotions, Vinny.
1: Uh, Wow, actually, yes, that's very much in the spirit of where I was going, Chaz. And then when Herr Dr. Sparlago lets his guard down, you
2: banish him to the permanent hell of the Ninth Realm, where you're literally torn in half over and
1: over. Mute button. Chaz, our goal for tomorrow night is for you to spend less time forcibly silenced.
0: You support the permanent damnation idea, gracious and kind host?
1: No, no, Vena. What I'm saying is, you should try to talk your eager enemies away from their use of violence as a means of resolving conflict. It can be very hard to break away from old habits, especially ones that become deeply embedded. Start a dialogue. You've named the problem, Baneful Pharmakeia. That's a start. Now, devote that energy to raising awareness, and not smoting your enemies quite so readily, perhaps.
0: Oh! I see, yes, I do see! and it is worthy nourishment for consideration indeed. Funny coincidence, the latest great waging of crucible in the internment pit of seventh Hades started right while you were speaking there, wonderful host. This is exactly the time for me to see what I can do to make such a thing as you describe a reality. I think that I can be the change I'd like to see in the various worlds.
2: Whoa, what was that sound?
1: Is there some sort of cross-dimensional interference in Uh
0: Ah, no. Herr Dr. Sparlago has made himself into a gigantic cockatrice. Apparently he thinks this will help him undo me. If I had a piece of blue lace agate for every time I came face to face with the business end of such a creature... (laughs) Well, I believe you get the idea.
1: Right. Well, you know, I think this is probably a good place to stop.
0: Consider behaving in a more reasonable fashion or die, Spurlago!
1: Change doesn't always come quickly, but that doesn't mean it isn't an end worthy of pursuing. We must have patience. Even when everything in us tells us this feels like it's gone on for thousands, nay, millions of years, and how could it possibly be expected to get better? Those are the times we must speak a mantra to ourselves, something peaceful, and make a strident and renewed effort to be that change our caller Vininostro mentions. Go ahead and talk, Chaz.
2: Okay, I feel like Baneful Pharmakea would be a good name for a band.
1: What do you think, host? Chaz, please, 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 please. Can
2: I ask one more question? As long as I'm not muted.
1: A tenuous state for you, so far, on your first day.
2: Have you ever thought about what would happen if there were an alien invasion? Like, would you be a fighter or a runner?
1: First off, aliens are extremely unlikely to invade our planet as they are peaceful flowers of the universe compared to our malevolent human spawn. And secondly, please patch me through to our call, Chaz, as is your actual job
3: about that, my darling host. Now, Chaz. Uh, hey, can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can hear you loud and clear.
3: Cool, I'm Thad, sophomore at USNU. Woof, 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 bulldogs rule, panthers drool.
1: Oh, yes, a college rivalry. I hear these are very important to the
3: contemporary youth. We peed in their fountain last year. Hey, I was a panther.
1: Meow, meow, meow. Chaz, Please don't. Your meows were immensely unsettling. So, Thad, dear Thad, what prompted you to call in tonight?
3: Well, I have insomnia, and so, like, I've been listening to your station for a while. I guess it all starts with last spring, when I rushed Alpha Delt, which I was super pumped about. I was an A.E. pi
1: Anyway, as you were saying, Thad...
3: Rad, bro, stop using my toothbrush. It's gross, and they're, like, not expensive at the campus store. Anyway, so, like, I was really into the frat at first. I even set a record for longest cake stand by a freshman. And I got so much pussy.
1: Just a reminder that this is a public, family-friendly radio.
3: Oh, right. Yeah, totally. Anyway, everything was way rad for a while. Like, I thought I'd found my people. But then I moved into the house, and I got my room, and everything, like, changed. How did things change? Well, there was a problem with the room. A really big problem.
1: Would you be willing to tell me what that problem was or is?
3: Yeah, no. I know you'll believe me, because, like, it's way in your wheelhouse. Okay, it's just that I'm pretty sure I have a wormhole under my bed. Which, like, majorly sucks.
1: (gasps) Both metaphorically and literally. I imagine I could just tape the mute button down.
2: I'll go make you tea.
1: That. How did you begin to realize that you had a wormhole under your bed?
3: It started the first night I moved in. I was like so psyched to pregame with my bros, and I wanted to get hype beforehand. I was going to use, uh, what's a family-friendly way to say this? I was going to sniff something like the powder from Pixie Sticks, and I put down the mirror on the floor for a sec, and all of a sudden it was gone. At first, I was like, whoa, am I already high? Did I imagine all this? I didn't even bother looking under the bed, but I knew there was something fishy going on. The next day, I asked my big bro, Conrad, if there had ever been some weird shit that had gone down in my room, and he was like, you partied too hard, dude. And didn't say anything else.
1: That must have felt a bit dismissive.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he like, could have taken a short break from chugging that case of Natty Light to come and at least look into my room, uh, you know, so then stuff just kept disappearing from my floor and I still thought, you know, maybe someone was pranking me even though it wasn't very funny. But one night, there was a super hot chick I met at a party and we like made out on the air hockey table and then the beer pong table and then the weird downstairs closet. And, you know, things were getting hot and heavy so I took her back to my room. And everything was going well, like really well. And we were about to, uh, do it, but the twin beds are really narrow. I'm like kind of a big dude, like my biceps are rocking. And so while we were adjusting, the girl, well, she fell off the mattress. And I saw the whole thing, and she was on the floor one moment, and then the next, her limbs were flailing, and she was screaming, and she was disappearing under the bed. I peeked my head over the edge of the rail, making sure to hold on tight, and there's this like. Weird, black, blank, terrifying space that made me feel totally empty and void inside, like it was trying to suck out my soul. I'm a physics major, and I may be kind of flunking out, but I do know what a wormhole is.
1: Ah, yes. I have had one or two experiences with those feisty phenomena of the universe myself. First off, the girl. Have you sent food and water down to her? Maybe a couple magazines? It gets awfully lonely in a wormhole.
3: Believe me, she has plenty down there. The wormhole has taken weeks' worth of McDonald's, Gatorade, and Playboy magazines. Which, I know what you're going to say, but they have good articles, too. Maybe throw an apple or two as well? Okay, yeah, I can steal some from the dining hall.
1: Just as importantly, Thad, it sounds like you have a lot to deal with. Have you asked if you could perhaps live in a different room in the fraternity until the wormhole is dealt with?
2: You could always live with me. I need a roommate. We can play Dungeons and Dragons together. Except I get to be the Dungeon Master. The tea's ready.
3: That's the thing. I tried to bring up the wormhole issue at our next house meeting and nobody cared. All they were focused on was the upcoming Pornhole Tournament and how many kegs of Keystone we should buy.
1: It sounds like you're feeling a bit let down by your friends.
3: Yeah, like, I would care if one of my bros had a wormhole in his room. That's just not cool. I even had to lie to my parents and tell them there was no visiting weekend because my dad is super clumsy and would definitely trip into the wormhole.
1: Unfortunately, there is no way to get rid of a wormhole. They're fickle phenomena coming and going as they please. But I don't think that really tackles the heart of your problem. I think you need to consider what your fraternity brothers mean to you and what you mean to them.
3: Yeah, like I thought being in a frat would be awesome, but I kind of don't really feel like we're brothers. It's more like distant cousins. Like, I'm the type of friend who would have done anything for my buddies in high school. And I want that again.
1: And you can find that. Fraternities are not the only path to friendship. You could join the marching band, or play a club sport, or even audition for musical theater.
3: Actually, that's not a bad idea. I bet I could find so many chicks to bang if I were a straight dude doing musical theater. Thanks, host. You're, like, a really good listener.
1: Sometimes, we just have to remember it's not really about the wormhole. It's about choosing friends for the quality of their compassion, not just out of convenience. Also, we definitely need to have a talk with our young men about how they treat our young women.
2: I'm an intersectional feminist!
1: Sure. And on that note, our time together tonight has come to an end.
2: That's a good note to end on. The world needs more male feminist role models.
1: Chaz, don't go too far. I have notes for you.
2: Whoa. Listeners are already sending me notes?
1: No, I wrote a list of things you can never do again. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks to all of our callers tonight and everyone who helped us to profile the dating life of a computer algorithm. Thanks also to Chaz for a mostly functional first day. Thank you most of
2: all for the opportunity, my host. My goal is always, always, always be at least... 50% functional.
1: And on a similarly disheartening note, there's still been no sign of Becky, my favorite cashier at the farm and fleet. Several of you have written in asking for updates, and I'm sorry to say I have nothing. Nothing at all. I wish I had something to tell you. That's all we have for tonight, listeners. As always, I have been your host. Oh, 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 let's say it together.
2: Say what together? No, 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 don't spoil it. Let's just say it together on three. I have been your host, and one, two, three. Good until night. next time.
1: I never say until next time. You always say it, though. Chaz, I think I know how I am. That's my your thing. Show. It's your it thing, my thing.
7: This
0: episode of The Host was led by Jamie Ferguson. It was written by Amy Carver, Mike Fagan, Jamie Ferguson, Amy McKay, Matt Rowan, and Michelle Myers. It was performed by Alex Surcell, Heather Rose Walters, Megan Walding, Katie Markovich, Patrick Keeking, Fassi Hassan, Bowen Wang, and Sarah Kenny. It was produced and edited by Amy Carver. Music is by Steve Metz. Created by Amy Carver. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, good night.
2: Jazz Dolphin, Jazz Dolphin, Chaz
8: Dolphin, 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 Dolphin.